Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you have any interest in buying optics or have any glassing questions, whether it be tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Guys, right now at GoHunt.com Insider, you can take advantage of the free trial. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to be able to take advantage of a free trial of the Insider. GoHunt is always adding more value for their Insider members. They've now added real 3D maps as a part of Insider for no additional cost. What an incredible value. Very soon, they're going to have their mobile app up as well. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and sign up for a free trial. If you're already an Insider member, it's automatically part of your Insider membership. And you can just go to the Maps tab up at the top once you sign in as an Insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to KUIU.com, Kuyu.com. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They sell everything off of the Kuyu.com website. I also do a lot of question and answer on my Instagram where I'm answering questions about guys wanting to know about gear about Kuyu, so tune into my Instagram. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Again, thanks to all the sponsors of my podcast. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I've got my friend Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides and True Hunts. Cliff, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, so we're just coming off of Colorado season. Uh, you know, it's kind of been one of those years where with the COVID and all the different things, I'm kind of anxious to talk to you. I've uh, had a handful of people that listen to the podcast and follow on Instagram that have bounced back with pictures and uh, testimonials of a great time they had with you and your guides up there in Colorado. Um, first off, how you doing? Good, good. You know, we, uh, we finished up a little bit later than we typically do, so I still kind of feel like uh, I'm not like totally stress-free yet. I've been fixing fixing all the trucks and side-by-sides and everything else that we broke during the season. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I feel like I've been working every day still. But uh, the last couple of days, we've had a little free time to spend with the kids and all that stuff. So um, so it, now it's finally starting to feel a little bit like the, the off-season. And then I was just thinking to myself, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but next year it'll be even be worse, man. I won't be done until after Thanksgiving. So, um Anyways, uh, yeah. So the season it. structure for the people that are out there listening, they bump back, right? They they bump back a, a little bit this year, Cliff, but they bump back even more next year, right? Yeah, correct. So like next year, the end of fourth rifle, uh, off the top of my, head, I think it's like the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth of of November, um, which will be, you know, that'll be like a full five or six days uh, later 
than it's ever been uh, in my in in my memory. Um, and then this year it was just a little bit bumped back. We ended up I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, I think around the twenty. I think the 22nd or 21st cliff um, um so going into go this ahead. season um you know there was a lot of talk about these hunt dates bumping back but before we get to that obviously with uh, the coronavirus and all of the challenges with travel and and hunters in and out and um you know how did the coronavirus uh impact your business or did it impact it at all yeah so um, I, I'm almost, I'm almost in, in, embarrassed to say that it like from a, from a total amount of hunting we did and, and the business part of my operation, it really didn't, and it didn't affect it. Right. I guess I've been very lucky in that regard. Um, I had a lot of early cancellations as people can imagine, you know, back when it first happened and there was a lot of uncertainty. And then I had kind of like a, like a really robust, like re- you know, rebooking after that. So everything got, got rebooked. Um, and that's, you know, I'm thankful for that, but the, the actual usage in the forest, what I saw from like summer and into the hunting seasons, that's what I thought was like the biggest difference to me, Jay. Like I was stunned, like just, uh, you've driven up to our ranch before, you know, you drive along the Colorado river corridor there, the amount of people, you know, using the rivers, using the BLM, using the forest, uh, this year was like, like substantially more than I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I think that was my, my best guess is that it's just like people were substituting, you know, going to Europe or going on big trips and instead we're just going out to the wilderness and enjoying it or whatever. So that was a huge difference. Um, I don't know that it, did it had much impact on on my hunting? I like my fishing operation. I know saw more people and that sort of thing than they typically do. Um, but the hunting season, um, it seemed I was expecting that the the public hunting pressure was going to be was going to kind of reflect that. Like oh, people more and more people are going to want to get out. But I didn't see see that as much. It's kind of anecdotal just to my area, but I didn't see like there was a massive increase in, in hunters. Um, but it surely didn't decline very much. And then business wise, we were, we were as busy as we always were. So we're lucky in that regard. I, I made some, some early strategic changes to my business. Um, just so I didn't get caught in a position that I I didn't want to be. I, 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 shrunk my guided groups and that sort of thing just to kind of comply with with what the county was telling us to do and that sort of deal so we made some changes there but in the end it kind of ended up not being not being an issue and everybody we got through the season and none of my crew got sick and and so uh we didn't have any problems so i'm thankful for that um i know other people with other businesses locally have had a different story so so uh no complaints man I know that um, your country up there, you know, in the flat tops wilderness, uh, it's so, I guess, success and seeing animals and having animal activity is, is really related to weather. And, you know, if you can get some weather and get some snow and get, you know, cold temps and get those animals moving around, um, let's talk kind of about the seasons. And uh, was there any any of the seasons that this year stood out as far as, you know, because of 
a weather pattern were better than others for, you know, guys seeing more animals? Sure. So, so for better or worse, it's, it's, I guess it's why I love the wilderness, but it's also why it, it drives me crazy from a, from a service provider perspective is, you know, I'd, I would prefer that it was just consistent and the hunting was always good, you know, Jay, but I think, you know, this, you know, wilderness areas, it's just not a, not a re- reality. There's always going to be variability based on the weather and whatever else is, is going on. Um, I use like the Forrest Gump saying, right? Like the wilderness is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's kind of true, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, for so sure. anyways, uh, like art like and this is partly speculation so we dealt with a really a, a really dry summer we dealt with big fires some local and then some all over colorado you know um and then we dealt with um some kind of like spotty big storms during the rifle season so i'll just start from the beginning and kind of go go through that so archery season our archery season was tougher than it typically was and i found that I think that was for two reasons. One, our the feed the feed situation, particularly in the alpine, just there wasn't much grass because it'd been so dry. I noticed like in the in the flat tops, if you've ever if you've never kind of been in like a like a high elevation plateau topography, um, we don't have like big above timberline basins really. We have real big flats that kind of roll they roll in and out of timberline. And the elk are very dependent on that alpine grass growing. The thing about it is when you're dry, it doesn't it has like a really short growing season. So it starts going, but if it's dry and you don't get summer rain, it just stays really short. And they won't they won't really like they won't always they won't hug the high elevations. I think if everything else was held equal, they would stay in the high elevation because there's so much more habitat in the wilderness area and they can get away from the hunting pressure yeah it's all public land but it's a vast area and a lot of it's fairly inaccessible um from a practical standpoint so i think they'd prefer to stay up there but what happens in a year like this is that grass doesn't get going and they just disperse so you'll have little groups up high as you would expect but then i mean you could be you could be down in the pinion juniper in in september and there could be elk down there you know um and so all of a sudden not only are they spread across the flat tops but they're spread across elevation grades so some maybe some more on private some are in between they're on the top so we had that to deal with and then i always get this question jane and i think i've actually seen people ask you it on um instagram too people always ask about these fires like uh, i think there's this sense from people that the elk like elk or deer they like smell smoke and they start like running you ever get that sense like yeah i mean that's a general consensus i think is that they they sense the fire and it scares them and they take off running and my sense is you know unless that fire gets literally you know half mile like where i mean a big wall of flames and they see it coming they kind of hold tight i think yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and and the thing is, is like, I mean, well, you know, the, you know, the Glenwood Canyon, right? And this is just like an anecdote in my mind kind of proves it. There's a group of sheep, you know, down there and everybody knows where they hang out. Those sheep during that huge Glenwood Canyon fire, they never left. 
they just got lucky that their little pockets didn't burn out. You know what I mean? Um, they basically stayed in those little holes. And this is a, I mean, they had to have, you know, 30 foot flames 500 yards from them. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, you know, or, or maybe that might be an exaggeration, but within three quarters of a mile or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Right. So they didn't, they didn't just pack their stuff up and, and, you know, go to the North. And I don't think the deer and elk do either. Um, but the one way that it did affect us, and I, I've talked to other guys about this, is that that like that that Grizzly Creek fire was adjacent to us, and it's it was in an area where you know it, it burned up out of the canyon, and it and it started burning up across the that part of the flat tops, and that part of the flat tops has a ton of road access. It's outside of the wilderness area, and they closed all those roads. So what kind of happened? This this is my thought is it generally where those elk, you know, in late August and early September, they start to get a ton of pressure in there from all of those people going in there. And some of them move into the roadless part of the wilderness that didn't happen. So I basically all of a sudden had a, a hundred thousand acres next to me that wasn't getting hunted because all the road access was cut off. So, so I think, so I it, think it actually affected. created kind of a preserve for them and they held up there is what you're saying. Yeah. That's what I think happened. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I don't think they necessarily like pushed out of that country and at least, you know, we didn't, we didn't see that. So I think a lot of times when the, when that road access gets cut off, I think actually you, it can create a problem if anything, because all of a sudden, you know, those roads, yeah, they go to where the fire was going, but they also go, you know, 20, 30 miles in other directions, you know, winding around everywhere and in typical spots that get hunted. So I think that that can that can happen with the fire stuff is that your access makes a much, much bigger difference than the actual fire, you know. So that's my story on on September. It was slow. Um, it seemed like earlier was better for us. Um, guys were getting to elk earlier and then we had we had a solid week there. It was just kind of the doldrums. So um, and then kind of finished up with people getting back into elk. And then um, were guys reporting second. were guys reporting bugling? Um, I guess we'll get to it here in these first and second seasons. Did they actually report more bugling in in the first rifle season than you know in, than in the archery? Yeah, so I uh, I don't recall talking to a lot of guys that got into rutting activity this year during first rifle, um, but in the previous years, I'd say what you're getting at has been commonplace so you know so in some of it's just some of it's anecdotal you know jay like it's not like i go through and survey every guy but generally like in 2019 2018 you'll hear a lot of guys that come out of drop camps and stuff and they'll be like oh you you won't believe it man like these elk were bugling and it's it's been fairly common like particularly the first few days of of that you know like october 10th ish yeah those there's they're still for sure breeding breeding cows and i actually had um, a, an acquaintance of mine send me a video near our area on some private land of bulls rutting pretty hard like i think i mean i think he told me it's like october 17th or october 8th. he had sent me a video because we we ended up killing one of the bulls in the wilderness a couple weeks later and he, it was a bull that had a unique he kind of had a non-typical deal but the bull was chasing cows like on October 17th, 18th. So it happens, you know, and I, and I think 
I think more and more cows are getting bred October 1st to October 10th. Yeah, we see a lot of that at the Ot 6 Ranch. You know, they're still just bugling to beat the band, you know, in that early October time frame for sure. Um, Cliff, early on there, what did you see with your bears? You talk about the fire and the Grizzly Creek fire right there adjacent to you. Did did you have bears all over you like normal? Um, what, what was the bear situation? Yeah, so our, our bear hunting was good through the whole month with the exception of one week. And I have, you know, why, or like a, like a five day period. Um, and why that was, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you, Jay. Um, the bear hunting, I would say was consistently good the whole, the whole time it was dry. So you had, you had to focus on like, it, it was dry, berry crop wasn't very good. So you had to focus on oak brush that was like right along bottoms. Yeah. I was so going to say, it felt like the bears, um, were, were really low this year. I don't know. I mean, in the summer, you know, they were all along the river bottoms. I was seeing them, you know, floating the rivers, uh, you know, on the roaring fork, uh, on the Colorado, um, more than normal. It seemed like, and I've got to think that the high country was dry. So they were just, you know, as low as they could be. And they were just picking around trying to find whatever food they could. Yeah. So, I mean, I, probably 80% of the bears we killed, if not more, were in oak brush that was right on a water channel like a lot of you know we we uh we guide some of our bear hunts on private and a lot of those bears would be right on like irrigation ditch cuts so like like a lot of times we'll have oak brush and then there'll be there'll be a where there's a natural waterway like a creek or whatever but it'll be really thick with willows and then it'll kind of have you know some berries around it or whatever but it'll be very thick and it's almost if the bears are down in that it's kind of it the reality is it's hard you got to get really lucky to kill them particularly you've when you're being careful like you always gotta you, to me like i don't even tell my guides to, to kill them in that stuff because the risk of killing them with with cubs is high because you can't you can't see in there right. you know what i mean those really thick bottoms so we basically don't don't hunt them in that so a lot of times like how the how the ditch banks are cut they'll be cut through oak brush but they'll be like they'll be like 20 30 yards above the bottom because you know there's there's a there's a decline so they'll be where the ditch attaches to the creek and then it and then it ends up above the creek and a lot of times those you will kill those bears on those ditches and it's because when you go walk that stuff if you reach up into that oak brush you know you could be 50 yards above that ditch in oak brush and there won't be There'll be no acorns. There'll be little tiny acorns. But if you walk that ditch and grab that oak, there'll be they'll be full, you know, bit like large acorns, and they'll be packed with them. You know, so those bears are. I find bears are very, like, yeah, there could be feed for them everywhere, but they're they're super efficient. Like if they can find the pockets where it's the best, that's where where they'll be. You know, I I really enjoyed this summer and and over the years um, watching your uh youtube and instagram the videos and one of the videos you did was on acorns talking about the different types of of oak and acorns and and you know i know we're uh later in the podcast i want to ask you about your first time uh hunter seminars and we're going to get into that with your other business true hunts but um i i will say for anyone out there listening um 
you know, Cliff is very well educated. He graduated from Stanford University, but you've been able to take like that cognitive ability of, you know, being highly educated as well as someone that was born and raised a ranch kid and kind of, I, I like what you're doing on your YouTube channel when you're, you know, describing how you're tying your different uh, knots and stuff with your pack strings and seems like over the last year your content has gotten a lot more educational um, and we can get into that later but is that just kind of your nature of of trying to dig in deeper and and help people understand what you're seeing and what you, you know what you've learned over your lifetime yeah i mean i think Jay, that's your nice way of saying Cliff's a nerd, uh, <laughs> but that you know, yeah, and that's just what it is. I mean, um, like this morning, I was I was talking to one of the fishing game guys about some some stuff, and and I realized that like he was a nerd too, and he had read all the research. We were talking about CWD, and it's like I don't I don't know what it is, but I tend to just for whatever reason, for better or worse, like on a specific topic, I'll just go just try to read as much as I can and try to figure, figure out like the nitty gritty details. And yeah, I mean, I think probably there's a segment of it that, that uh, doesn't matter, but I still find it interesting. You know what I mean? Right. But the part, the, the details part are important matter, to you though, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and honestly, like I'll admit that they're important to me probably if they end up in a, they end up giving me a better result as a guide or hunter or not. I still kind of want to know. You know right. what I mean? Like, I still want to know, like, what, like, why was, like, you know, like, well, this, you know, people tell me that mule deer bucks don't eat rabbit brush. It's like, uh, I see them eating it all the time. Like, what's the real deal? You know what I mean? Right. Like, just those little things, like, for whatever reason, I'm a nerd about them. So and your idea of a nice Friday night is uh, sit down after dinner and read some uh, bi biology manual on <laughs> yeah. the, the diet of a black bear or something. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. So I'm sure I, Amy's so, thrilled with that part of your. Yeah, yeah, your, exactly. I, yeah. Well, I'm I'm driving nuts, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So I think it's just like a personality thing, uh, Jay. I don't I I don't think everybody has to be like that or whatever to be a good hunter or guide. But what I have tried to do is take a segment of that that has helped me with it, and I've tried to like these videos that I've done on the, on the True Hunts YouTube page. Like all of those are the things that I thought like, all right, I think this like I may have. Uh, you know, engulfed myself in it for whatever reason, just out of curiosity. But I think it's actually uh, made me more effective at at finding bears or or whatever. You know, um, my brain works a lot the uh, same type of way. Um, you know, and and a lot of times when I'll post videos or make posts on Instagram or even on my podcast, you know, sometimes there's things that I think might be elementary. Uh, to me or to other people that are listening but then I realize that there's people kind of at every spectrum and you know everybody has a different level of learning there's some guys they could care less about what a bear eats or a deer eats or they just want to kill one and and that's understandable and then there's some people that want to know every little detail and there's and there's people in every spectrum between those two so um, but I do appreciate as someone I, I try and dive into the details as well. Um, and what's been fun having you on the podcast over the years, you know, a couple times a year having you on is you can tell you put a lot of thought into, you know, the animals you hunt, the biz the business aspect of your, uh, you know, of your business. And 
um, you know, why things happen. You try and understand it. Um, and you know, you're, you're raised, like I said, a, a ranch kid and, you know, um, probably with a, a dad that said, get on that horse and go over, you know, get over there and just go get it type of guy. <laughs> and you're trying to say, well, why is he over there and what's he doing? And, um, that's what makes you, you, um, you, I interrupted you, but you were kind of diving into, and we'll talk about the first time Hunter, Hunter seminar stuff coming up, but, um, you were about to talk about the first and second seasons. And I'm curious, kind of in the middle of that, normally you do a bunch of goat hunting and sheep hunting. Um, but I think this year was a little bit different. I'm wondering if that was due to the coronavirus. Yeah. So, um, on the, on the goats and sheep, what, what seemed to happen on it was, uh, when the draw came out and this is just my experience when the draw came out, it was kind of like the peak of, um, chaos, like I get uh, yeah, or like fear related right. to it. And so like, usually like, just as an example, like usually when that draw comes out, I'll book up all my sheep and goat stuff within 48 hours. Like you just, you know, I like myself and a couple of my guides, it's not like we do that many sheep and goat hunts. Right. So, you know, within a couple of days, X amount of people have called us, we've got them all penciled in. So that didn't really happen this year. Um, Cause that, the, booked- the results come out in, um, you apply in April and then it's what in June, first part of June or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they had, and they, in this year, the nice thing about it, they actually put out a specific date, uh, on the sheep and goats in a lot of years in the past, Colorado is kind of, they put them out when they, they kind of say like, it's going to be this week or, or whatever. So at least this year we do, we knew exactly when they were, were coming out, but but anyways, like I didn't, I kind of had a trickle of bookings and then we ended up, I ended up booking other stuff, Jay. So we did, you know, I, I personally guided quite a few bear hunts. Um, Jimmy who works for me and does a lot of the goat guiding, he, he, and sheep guiding, he did more bear hunts. So I kind of filled up my schedule. We did end up still doing, I think we did, we did three goat hunts. Um, and so we did, we still did that, but we didn't have, it was kind of an abnormal September, um, like than 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 usual i think you know usually like in 2019 i think i personally did four sheep hunts in september or whatever so i i I missed that but um i i guided well it's funny on the goats um i guided one and then one of my guides guided two but he actually ended up guiding mine because i got sick in the middle of it um it wasn't and i got tested and stuff it wasn't coronavirus but I got I got pretty darn sick in the middle of it, so so Jimmy pulled through and and got that that one done too. So I had to call him in as uh, reinforcements. So it's a little odd in terms of the sheep and sheep and goats this year. I'm kind of looking forward to that that normalizing in the future. Because you really enjoy those those hunts. Um, it, you know, it's such steep and rough country, um, but you still really enjoy to get up there and put a backpack on and get away and and just go hunt, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do, and I think it's probably somewhat selfish in the sense, Jay, that like those are hunts where that time of year, you know, we're doing a lot of a lot of September drop camp stuff uh, here in the flat tops, and my crew can kind of manage that. And when I go on a sheep hunt or whatever, um, it's kind of like, you know, it's, I put a backpack on or whatever, and I'm gone for three or four days. I can't really, you know, I'm gone. I don't feel guilty about it. 
and uh and i enjoy hunting those species with guys so uh in some ways it's like their little mini vacations for me i, I guess yeah. um and the other thing about it is uh you know i i mean there's so much variation between hunters but most of the sheep and goat guys because they've had to put in for so many years um they're usually pretty serious hunters you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. um and the majority of them now are guys that in one way or another I've guided in the past. Um, so a lot of them I would say are, are friends, almost more so friends than clients. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, in other words, they've hunted, they've hunted elk and deer and bear with you. And then they finally drew their kind of once in a lifetime permit and they want to, they want you to take them and, and do that. It's more than that more than just the random hunter that you've never known or dealt with. Although that happens, um, a lot of it is people that you've already built a relationship with and then they finally get that sheep tag or they finally get that goat tag. Yeah. 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 Or a lot of them are, are, or guys that have guided on goat hunts and then they, then they, they go on, they go on sheep hunts or whatever. That's, that's probably the, the funniest one, Jay. And I'm sure there's a bunch of your listeners that can relate that have goat hunted. Uh, the the goats are funny because I can't tell you how many guys like I've guided on goat hunts. We kill a goat and we're s- sitting at the goat in like some hellhole type of terrain. And the guy looks at me and he's like, that was really fun, Cliff, but I will never put in for a goat hunt again. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> they tend to have they tend to have like that effect on on, yeah. on some folks. And a lot of times you know, those same guys will have a bunch of sheep points built up and I'll be like, well, that's all right. Because when you draw your sheep tag, it'll probably, in terms of the terrain, it'll probably just be like a one bump down in terms of like the, the, the scariness of the terrain. So we'll be, we'll be good to go. So a lot of those guys I've ended up guiding on sheep hunts too. So it's kind of fun that way. But, uh, but yeah, goats can be, I, I've never had anybody say that they regretted doing it, but I've had guys say like, that's, that's my one goat. I'm yeah. glad we got it I'm done. I'm glad we got that done and out of the way. I don't have to do that again. Um, so I want to I want to talk about these first-time hunter seminars, but I want to hear about the um, third and fourth, first, second, third, fourth uh, rifle elk season in general. So you have drop camps and you have kind of guided camps and you have a whole different uh, or a whole bunch of um, different hunts that people can choose from. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, those hunts, how it went. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, and I'll, I'll stay on point here, Jake, to get through the, the season. So, so first rifle we had, uh, I, I'm trying to reflect on it, but this was one season I had very few guided hunters. I believe I had two guided hunters and then I, and then I had my normal, my normal drop camp, uh, 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 camps out there. I think we had five or six camps. And I would say that first rifle was kind of an average season for us. Um, that, but the elk were, were spotty. So we had, we had some camps that were into elk every day. And then we had some camps that really, that really, uh, struggled to, to just find elk. Um, so there was variation that way. And that's the very standard first rifle for us. If the deer, or excuse me, if the elk are still highly dispersed, um, it's just going to be, you know, kind of if you have, if you're, if you're able to find pockets of them and then hunt them carefully and then start to get it done. So our first rifle was, um, was I'd say right around kind of average. Um, and then, then the, so the other 
change in the seasons was we had these weeks in between. So we had a week off between first and second. Um, and so I don't know that it affected anything kind of changed business a little bit just because we were able to manipulate camps a little bit more because we can move them around and that sort of thing. Uh, during those times we can take some out. We don't want in there later in the season or whatever, but other than that, um, the only thing I could see in future years advantage of those weeks is that you could get big storms during those weeks and then you'd be set for the next season. Like I always tell guys, you really don't want big weather while you're in those drop camps because it's hard to hunt during it. It's just hard to get around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it can be like white out for 48 hours. And it's like, if you're up there for five days, you just, you know, a big chunk of your hunt. What you really want is big storms before you're there. You know right. what I mean? So I think this week, these week gaps give the potential for that. Um, second season, I'd say our elk hunting was uh, maybe slightly below average. We still hadn't had a bunch of weather. Our deer hunting for a second season was good. Uh, and I would suspect that is mainly just because of the dates. So I like every year, I kind of feel like I learned more and more about our deer. And I think this can relate to a lot of the deer that are in these wilderness different wilderness areas too is regardless of the weather it seems like they're i don't know like the 25th of october or whatever they start to move and so we we were we caught that and the deer hunting i'd say for a second season was pretty darn good um and then we had some weather between the two seasons um third season right off the bat i would i would have called the the deer hunting phenomenal um i i don't i mean very few guys that had a deer tag in the drop camps and the guided guys um didn't have multiple opportunities at mature mule deer so i would say the the deer hunting was very good and same thing timing weather at that point so we had a we had a slick of snow even kind of in the low country so the glass and conditions were way better for deer um but they were just moving around the elk hunting seemed to not get tick up a whole lot till like the middle of third season. And then I got, we, we killed a few elk there uh, in the middle of third season. And when I was pulling out drop camp guys, almost all the guys were telling me like, man, if we just had a couple more days, we probably would have been able to get a bunch more opportunities or whatever. So I would say our third season elk hunting, like the results ended up average, but the last two days were getting pretty good. And then our fourth season elk hunting was what I probably some of the better elk hunting we, we've had in the last five or six years. And then our deer hunting actually dropped off a little bit during fourth, um, which was which was su- surprising to me. Um, I actually ended up um, the guided guys. Uh, one of them was was a guy that, that you had recommended to us, Dave, a great guy. Um, we actually, the, the hunting in the wilderness was so tough during fourth. We ended up just focusing on a couple of the private ranches I leased and got them. We got those guys bucks down there. So I, I was surprised how quickly the deer after third season, um, evaporated out of the higher country. Yeah, I really was. I mean, I, you know, I always, I've seen that in the past, but I don't know if it was specific to this year or if it's just specific that specific to the fact that if i if i'm being totally honest with myself you know like when i finish up hunting i don't go spend time in the mountains like it's the last thing i do you know what i mean like i i kind of like 
you know, we got the camps out. I put my nose down and we're cleaning up and like winding things up. Right. You've so been I up there really for 90 days. You're ready. You've got to get all your stuff out and get. Yeah. It's all not your... like, yes, yeah, so exactly. So that window of like, you know, from the 20th of November and ladder or 18th of November and ladder, like I haven't experienced it a whole lot from actually like being up there and seeing what the wildlife's doing. Like a lot of times I'll glass from the road and stuff and for sure elk, elk continue to move down as the weather goes. But I don't, I don't know that I've really been paying attention to the deer um, as much as I maybe thought I was, but I was amazed how quickly the deer bumped down elevation and we didn't have we didn't have like what i would call like feed restricting snow in in the country that that we had like country that was phenomenal deer hunting during third it wasn't like by fourth it had 18 inches of snow on it and it was they couldn't hard for get the to deer it to, yeah yeah it had nothing to do with that they just moved out of the country you know what i mean they were just going to where they're going um and uh and we were able to catch them you know we had to kind of figure that out where they had where they had gone and i'm talking like a reduction of deer by probably 80 percent you know um in a in a matter of maybe whatever four or five day window because there was a window between those two seasons so in four or five days you know 70 80 percent of the deer moved out of country where we were where i would say they were fairly dense you know yeah um and your listeners man like this this stuff next year like they ought to really be thinking about that. You know what I mean? Like I almost like my, my thoughts to people, like when they put in for this draw, um, like these late seasons all the way into the last week in November, the deer, the bucks are going to die at a phenomenal rate. That's my opinion. I think that's, that's almost a fact, but it's a question of where they're going right. to, where they're going to. If you're too high on the dying. mountain, you might not get a chance at them, but you've got to pick the right, you got to pick, yeah. pick the right range for those late dates. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think, I think people, they got to look at these units and they got to really understand like where your private land is. And how I'm losing you a little bit on, on service or something. I don't know if you're moving around. That's a little digitized. See if you, have you moved at yeah, all? I'm, no, I haven't. Okay. Are you, are you all right there? Yeah, let's let's give me a little timeline cut here so I can edit. Okay, let's try that. See if that's better. All right. Do you got me? Yep. Yeah, yep. I got you. Yeah. And just just let me know if it if it comes up again. I don't know. It shouldn't. I've got good service here. Okay. So just holler at me if it comes up. But um, where was I, Jake? Uh, you were talking about how deer, you know, in in applying for next year, guys got to look at. You know, you think bucks are going to get slaughtered in that fourth season because it's after Thanksgiving, but you got to make sure you're at the right um, elevation. Oh right. I think I think what I was getting at is like. Some of these units, you probably need to really understand like the the um, the land ownership right of where they're going. So you want to make sure you don't get into a unit that's been historically awesome during fourth season, but in 2021 it's tough because all that all that land is private or or whatever, you know. So I think people should pay attention to that. And the other thing is, I'd be 
like I've been telling a lot of folks is like I'd be really wary of just using your points based on how many points it's been historically, right? So I think in a lot of units, like I'm thinking of like a lot of these units uh, kind of like they'd be to the east of me and that sort of thing, that the deer coming out of, out of rough country. I think that third season is going to be better season than fourth uh, for guys. Um, just knowing the, the land, you know, the land ownership and knowing how those deer move. Okay, so Cliff, you think it's important that even though next year when people are looking at the Colorado dates, that the dates bump back, speaking specifically about deer, you think they need to really watch the fact that whatever units or whatever part of the state that they're applying for, that they make sure that the they're not applying for public ground that doesn't offer deer in other words the deer might be lower in elevation or on private and not in those public zones or public areas of forest or blm or what or whatever that they can actually hunt so the dates are great but they're going to be up high looking down onto private and deer rutting down in the bottom of the fields yeah exactly jay so so i think it's it's pretty much a fact that with the dates for 2021 uh the the bucks are going to be very susceptible to harvest it's just a matter of in the unit that you're planning on applying for are they going to be where you can harvest them and then are you going to choose the right the right segment of that unit to hunt where you have access to them um and i was reflecting on you know what uh um what we were talking about earlier and that's the sense i was amazed this year to see that transition like within three or four days without any weather you know 70 80 percent of our deer bumped out a uh an elevation grade so i think people need to pay attention to that and then and this might be uh repeated because we we're having a little, a little phone trouble but um the other thing is people shouldn't get caught on how many points the unit has historically taken to draw um for that specific unit because i think a lot of these units um particularly kind of the more rugged mountain units um i think that third season probably in 2021 for most hunters is going to be a better season than fourth but historically the fourth season may be i mean just an example like a lot of fourth seasons for non-residents they draw between five and ten points whereas the third season draws with like one or two points um, but if you have five or six points, you still might want to draw the third. Right. Makes total sense. Um, and, and back to what you were saying earlier, uh, your fourth season for elk gave lots of opportunities for guys, for bulls. And how much of that was weather and you had, you know, cold, snow and elk were just really moving around that fourth season. Yeah, so what we had before the fourth season is we had a significant snow dump, but it was fairly warm. So, like, if you if you kind of know the elevation grade between, like, Eagle and up where we hunt, I know you're familiar with it, Jay. Like, that storm, when it came in, it actually just rained in Eagle and put in snow, but it put a lot of snow on the, on the like, right at Timberline. Um, and so it closed up a lot of that country in terms of actual like access to feed for the elk. So it was a little bit odd because we weren't hunting in a lot of snow, but a, a huge influx of elk showed up. And it's, and it's not that they weren't there. They were in our hunting area. It's just they were way more widely dispersed where they're harder to find. Um, and then 
there the last few days of third and then we got that storm between four seasons a bunch of bunch of elk showed up and and everybody you know all of our hunters that season uh either harvested a bull or had had multiple opportunities so it it went from you know just kind of your average elk hunting like you know some season you know like second might have been a little bit lower than your average second season of elk hunting and then all of a sudden it got got phenomenal and that's that's what you'll see and it's just just what weather will do you know but you can also get a storm between first and second and second's phenomenal so what you're saying though is if you can get some storms hope you're not the group that it storms on but if you can get a storm on you know before you come and it be cold and have some snow and just get them moving around change their change it up a little bit that's always good yeah yeah exactly well i've actually had like i've had first rifles and this is specific this is my opinion on elk in particular like to me elk will move up and down based on weather differently than deer it seems like to me once deer start moving they keep moving right but they elk, don't turn like back I've, up yeah right like we i've had i've had seasons where we had a big you know big snowstorm i've had this several times before first rifle like that first six or seven days of october and first season's phenomenal but then all that snow you know just gets packed down a lot of it melts off because it's still warm in second season's abysmal because they just go back up right you know and they right. get and they get dispersed so elk seem to be you know very much that way and I, and I actually even watch them like in the depths of winter and particularly bulls I, I don't know if you've seen this but I've seen bulls like groups of you know 15 20 bulls together that you know you know it's the same group I've seen them go all the way down to you know maybe 7500 feet or so and then two weeks later they'll be up on a on a south facing slope that's windswept they'll be up there like high nine thousands Right. you know in just a week difference so um to me they, they will they'll hug that snow if they if they can so so we have that you know kind of up and down um and like i said before it's not it's not my favorite thing about wilderness hunting but it's just it's just the reality you know um you've got to people got to kind of have the mindset of you know if you if you're going to get into elk hunting you probably should try to go you know don't plan on just going once and hoping that you hit it perfect you know you got to kind of get in the mindset it may it may take a few years cliff i've i want to change gears here um that's flat tops wilderness guides uh you can uh, go on cliff's uh, website flat tops wilderness guides you can also uh, go on his instagram i'll link all this up in the show notes but I'm getting messages from guys that have signed up for your first-time hunter seminar programs. I'm like, what is Clifford up to? Mr. Stanford grad, is what's he doing? And then I, <laughs> so I reach out to you, and it looks like you've got, and this is a phenomenal idea. I'm excited to kind of get the nuts and bolts of what you've got going here with your three-day seminars. Um, tell me about it. Sure. So I... So kind of in a more casual sense, I've been doing a little bit of this over the years. Every once in a while, I'll have a hunter that's interested in, in you know, a certain species or glassing or the wind or whatever, and they'll, and they'll come up to our place and spend a couple of days, and, and we'll go over specific things that they're interested in, usually in preparation for a hunt. Um, and then what I've seen, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too, Jay, like, and it's a recent deal. It, it, in the last, let's say, five to ten years, maybe even 
even a shorter time frame than that. There's been this huge influx, at least with interest in Western hunting, amongst what I call like late late onset hunters. Um, and it could be it could be a 22 year old guy. Uh, I just mean it in the sense that like he didn't grow up hunting. You right. know what I mean? Right. And that's I mean, have you noticed that as a growing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, with yeah. my podcast and with Instagram, it just seems like there's more and more people that are getting interested in in what we do and in hunting and yeah for sure i mean people are starving for knowledge for sure yeah yeah and, I th- and so there's been it seems like those type of people unfortunately it's hard like hunting is a is a is a weird thing because if you really get in the depth of it it's fairly accessible for in terms of opportunities for I mean, as an american there's tons of opportunities to hunt i mean it takes a little effort and money and, and all of that but it's not like it's that limited but it's it is limited in the sense that if you didn't grow up hunting it's, it's like this huge barrier to jump you know like there's a regulatory component of it there's just learning about the species learning about access to public land, planning the hunt, all that stuff. And what's happened is now there's this big interest from from people um, that didn't have exposure as kids, and so they're out there doing research. And I've had a bunch of them reach out to me um, over the whole lockdown period of time. I tried to just grind out as many videos as I could on the True Hunts YouTube page, and I've had a ton of feedback through that. And it's a lot of these people that are just trying to go out there and learn as much as they can uh, before they go hunting. Um, but what I found is a lot of them, they still have trouble, like, making the jump. Like, okay, am I really, like, capable of just going and doing it? And so I'm trying to, with these seminars, try to kind of bridge that gap. Does that make sense, Jay? Yeah, for sure. So, so t- like, tell me what you're going to be focusing on with these seminars. Yeah, so so – main focus is what i'm calling the first time hunter seminar but you know this it it's great for people who haven't actually gone hunting but it's also good for people that you know have done some some type of hunting and they want to make the jump to public land western game hunting or, or whatever or just get more extensive into certain topics um and so what it is it's a three-day seminar i'm going to do most of them in late april and uh early early may um and I can get into why I chose that timing, but all those dates are on the, the True Hunts uh, website. And I made an easy URL for people to check out, Jay. So it's truehunts.com backslash FTHS. So just the, the acronym for First Time Hunter Seminar. And they can go there. It's got all the dates on it. And it's got a an outline of what, what we're going to cover at these. And the way I kind of conceptually – uh, segment in it and it's based on things i've worked with guys worked on with guys before and then also kind of like the sticking points that i think people find they get a little anxious about and i feel like if they're just exposed to it one time they'd feel a lot more comfortable about going on their own hunts i kind of did it my my thought is a third of it's going to be just tactics and strategy specific species stuff the actual you know when we think about hunting about a third of it's going to be actually planning hunts i think that stalls out a lot of people they just don't they just don't feel comfortable with all the regulatory stuff and and land ownership so we'll cover that for about a third of it and then a third of it's going to be uh the game the game processing and the practical components of that 
that seems to be another one. People are fearful if they've never done it before. They're just fearful of like the, the act of quartering an animal or whatever, which if you're exposed to that a couple of times, all of a sudden it's not a big deal. You are, know what I mean? Are you going to so actually have the, deer? Kind and... of the broad topics all covered in three-day uh, period. And then you've been up to our ranch. Um, like our facilities is like perfect for it because that period of time, it's pretty easy for us to find game to glass. The, the deer and elk are starting to move back up. Um, there's still usually snow so we can find animals. We can go through those topics during that period of time. Um, and it's starting to warm up a little bit. I'm not saying there might not be, might still not be a little bit cold, but, um, that's kind of why I've chose those dates. And then for, I'll hit on it real quick. It's, I, I, this is something I've been doing more, um, as a customized things for people, but for the more experienced guys, that are going on horseback hunts in BC. Well, hopefully next year BC will be back open, or horseback elk hunts or, or whatever backpack hunts that have done a lot of hunting. I've got some seminars that I'm calling Advanced Mountain Hunter Seminar. I'm going to do those in early June, and the reason I'm postponing those till till June is because I need to have horses up at the ranch. So um, that's kind of a different experience, more for guys that are going on big hunts and they want to go ride in the mountains a little bit see what that's all about before they go they go spend twenty thirty thousand dollars on a hunt and that be their first exposure to those elements so does that kind of give you a breakdown jay yeah so i mean you basically are going to have you know the first time hunting seminars and you're going to have the more advanced seminars and then i'm sure as a business owner i'm sure you're going to kind of um tailor these specifically over the years to things that you pick up on and and maybe questions that you get at the seminars that you think you maybe need to spend a little bit more time on and such um you know you're the perfect candidate for doing this uh you have an amazing facility up there with with private ground up at the ranch and then you have the background of someone you know full-time outfitter uh, but you also have a very good way of communicating with people. So I think, you know, the people that have already reached out to me that have signed up for your seminars um, are super excited. And when I heard you were doing it, I thought, man, Cliff is the perfect, the perfect guy uh, to do this. Um, so I'm excited. Um, I'm actually here looking on your website, uh, truehunts.com. And you've got it really well outlined and, and spelled out here and some good pictures and such. Um, it's going to be awesome to hear uh, how these go and get the feedback from you. Um, I think you're going to be blown away with the amount of um, uh, demand uh, for these and, and, and the response that you get because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that would really like to sharpen their skills. And, you know, you have the right mindset as well as an instructor to um, you, you know, you're just the right personality. Um, you know, I, I think there's some places you could go where potentially you could feel like, you know, the instructor is talking down to you and that's just not the way you are. You're, you understand that people are at different levels and that, you know, you, uh, you may have to answer questions from someone that's less advanced, and then you might have to answer some questions from people that are more advanced, but, I think it'll be a very good environment there at the ranch to be able to hold these seminars. So I'm excited for you. This is, this is neat. I'm, I'm excited. 
yeah, no, I appreciate the support on it today. And like I said, like it's something we've kind of been doing a little bit. So I have a, a step up on seeing what people are interested in and what, like I said, like the main thing is I, my hope is it gets everybody, you know, over those things that, uh, that stop them from going out and, and making it happen themselves. So, and it's, I, I think I've got those narrowed down to a, a good set of topics, but I, you know, as we go, I think we'll, we'll improve that too. So, so, um, that's the plan and it should be, should be a fun, fun spring. Um, I'm going to link up the truehunts.com first time hunter seminars, um, page, uh, but also tell people how, you know, the best way they can learn about it, obviously the website, sign up, um, it looks very affordable, uh, and, and even the advanced, uh, mountain seminars, uh, uh, seem very affordable. So, um, tell people the best way to, uh, reach out, uh, if they want to, uh, learn more about this or if they want to book a slot. Sure. So, uh, I'll just give them the URLs again. So truehunts.com backslash FDHS. That's the first time hunter seminar. And then the advanced mountain hunter hunter seminar is truehunts.com backslash AMHS. And honestly, if you just go to truehunts.com, the first page has kind of a summary and it'll link you to that stuff. Um, and there's a, there's a sign up form on the bottom of those pages. Uh, you, you know, a real brief one you can fill out and indicate what dates you're interested in, if you got any questions or whatever. And uh, I actually, just so your listeners know, there's a little box for a promo code. Um, I'll, I'll give your listeners 10% off, Jay, if they just make sure and mention it in there. Oh, awesome. Um, Thank you. you. You guys have always been super supportive. So there's a way there. And then I basically have what, what you'll get when you sign up is I, I send you kind of a, a it, you know, it's the contractual stuff, the waiver and contract and all that. But there's also a little survey in there that kind of gives me an idea of, you know, where you're at, you know, what topics you're interested in. And then also like what kind of hunts you're interested in, in potentially doing on your own in the future. And I'm, I'm going to use all that to make sure that when we, when we get groups there that we're addressing like specific, specific topics, um, three days seems like a fair amount of time, but you know, if I can, if I can customize a little bit for the group, that's, that's, you know, I'll, I'll make sure and do that. So there's more information there. Um, in terms of, you know, the actual knowledge basis stuff over the lockdown, I, I put out, a, I just like every day try to put out a video on the, on the true hunts YouTube page. And now that I'm, I'm at a hunting season, at a guiding season, I'm going to get back, back on that. Um, so if you go to youtube.com, I think I think if you just go backslash true hunts, it'll take you there. Um, all those videos are there. I cover a bunch of topics. Um, and then if any of your listeners um, have topics that they're interested in, just uh, you know message me on Instagram or shoot me an email, and I'll put it on my list of topics because it's not always super intuitive what I think people are going to be interested in versus versus what they actually are. So um, I always appreciate that when people people have ideas and. And I have a, I have a, um, a true hunts is on Instagram, but really Jay, the best one to follow is just me. So it's, it's clip C L I F F G R Y on Instagram. That's kind of like the central point of, of those things. And I'll keep things updated in terms of the class. 
And I'll link it up in the show notes. Um, and back to the three-day seminars. Um, so these are going to be conducted at your ranch, which is located for people just in general, if they know where Glenwood Springs is, if they know where, uh, say, uh, Vale, kind of between the two of those. Um, and Cliff, maybe you can do a better job here. But um, outside of, I would say, Eagle or Gypsum, Colorado. And Cliff, uh, are the accommodations, what's the status with that? Do you have places right there in Eagle that they can stay in a hotel or, or do they, can they stay at the ranch? Is food included? What, what's the scoop? Yeah. So, um, so the, you're correct about the location. Most people associate it with the towns of Eagle and Vale. We're about 45 minutes from there. Uh, there's a bunch of hotels, uh, in Eagle, um, that are, that will work for accommodations, but I've also got uh, several places that are, you know, that are usually VRBOs um, during that period of time that are up closer to the ranch. And I'm talking like within 15, 20 minutes that I can, I can guide people to um, the hotels in town are, are fine. It's just a little bit longer drive. So it's about 45 minute drive. Um, but I've, I've lined up several, several of those VRBOs as options for people and I can guide people that way. Um, I, I, I limited how many people I can keep at the uh, at the lodge, but I do have an option for people there, and they'll see it on the on the website. Okay. Um, and that's kind of like a first come first serve thing. I, I've basically got got two or three rooms that I can I can pe- keep people there. It's it's an it's a nice place, but it's not a you know I can't keep a, an a, an enormous crowd there. So that is an option, but there's also a lot of other local options. Sounds and there's good. an airport. There's an airport right here, and then the, and then there's there's two other. Uh, airports too there's grand junction in denver so we're pretty accessible kind of lucky that way um to be adjacent to the wilderness plus be pretty accessible for folks awesome man well i look forward to hearing the reports i know i know the guys that are signed up are excited about it and um yeah i look forward to hearing more information i encourage people to check out uh your instagram page and and definitely check out the true hunts uh, youtube so i'm gonna link all that up uh cliff it's always great talking to you i'm glad you guys had a good season uh there at flat tops wilderness guides and uh look forward to uh chatting at you i guess draw time and and uh, talking about uh applications and and all of that so uh, buddy, thanks for coming on and sharing with us here. Yeah, thank you, Jay. All right, take care. God bless.